Hey now, this is the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and we start today's show on a somber note as Pat Patterson, uh, born Pierre Clermont, died this week at age 79. Patterson was born in Montreal, started wrestling at age 17, and had a 42-year career, at least in front of fans, in his various roles. He actually changed his name to Pat Patterson from Pierre Clermont officially, formally, legally, in 19. 19- 98, uh, widely considered the first truly openly gay wrestler. Uh, People knew his peers in the 1960s, and he went public with it in the 1970s. His career really took off in California, made his way to then the WWF in 1979, and immediately became basically the only last, uh, there was only two ever, uh, WWF North American champion. The title existed for about four months. WWF told fans that Patterson merged the North American title with the South American championship, which never actually existed uh, during a tournament in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. That didn't happen uh, to create what is now known as the Intercontinental Championship. That means that Pat Patterson was the first person to hold the title. And that title itself is now the second most legendary title in WWF history. What's interesting is Pat Patterson actually only held the title one time. And he was never the WWF World Heavyweight Champion. But still, that intercontinental title reign is the 22nd longest ever. Patterson actually had a match of the year, according to the Wrestling Observer, back in 1981 against Sergeant Slaughter. He retired from the ring formally at age 43 in 1984. But Vince McMahon kept him on the road as an agent and producer, and later, I believe, as a vice president. Four years after his retirement, uh, NBC wanted a special wrestling event to go head-to-head with the Bunkhouse Stampede from Jim Crockett Promotions, and Vince called on Patterson to share his idea that he had been rolling around and, and, and testing out for what eventually would be coined the Royal Rumble. Not only did NBC president Dick Ebersol love that idea, they had to turn it around in very short order, and Patterson booked the entire first Royal Rumble match in one night before it aired on USA Network. Two years later, it became a pay-per-view. And of course, it has been a feature for WWE annually ever since. It's interesting that AEW actually ran a bunkhouse stampede match just a couple of weeks ago. And here we are one month away from the 35th edition of the Royal Rumble. More recent fans, of course, know Pat Patterson as one of Mr. McMahon's stooges, along with Gerald Briscoe. And he was incredible in that role. Even when that ended around 2000, he was still backstage for another four years and made sporadic TV appearances both then and in recent years as well. He won the Hardcore Championship back in the day and actually the 24-7 title recently at the Raw reunion. That made him the first person to ever win both and the only person, I should say, to ever win both. Not that that's an extremely (laughs) long list that you would think. Uh, And it also makes him winning that 24-7 title the oldest person ever to hold a WWE championship. Uh, Vince McMahon kept him on the payroll all the way until his death as he was fighting cancer. Gerald Briscoe was just released earlier this year, though. We're not sure the exact circumstances of that. The long and short of it is that from a wrestling standpoint, in-ring agency type of career, Pat Patterson's a legend in the industry. He's a WWE Hall of Famer, and it's not just for the stuff that you saw in modern days, but his career with the Blonde Bombers and being that, of course, first intercontinental champion and the creator 
of the Royal Rumble. You saw the responses from all the wrestlers, the younger guys, even like Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, all the way to the veterans like Shawn Michaels and Triple H. So clearly for the industry, uh, it was a sad day for everyone to hear that Pat Patterson died at age 79. They did honor him both on AEW Dynamite and NXT this past Wednesday. And the expectation surely is that will continue uh, through the rest of the week on WWE programming. Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your latest Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. And boy, oh boy, do we have an absolutely loaded show for you today. Not only are we going to break down all of the craziness that happened Wednesday night for AEW Dynamite's special Winter Is Coming episode that featured in the main event John Moxley defending the AEW Championship against none other than Kenneth Omega. We are also here to provide an ultimate preview for NXT TakeOver War Games 2020. So there is an absolute ton to get to on today's show. With that, folks, you know that means we need to take care of business right off the top. So here's what you can do. Head on over to Twitter. Follow us at Getting Overcast. Literally, it's clicking one button. Real easy. You get all the episodes straight into your Twitter feed. You get to find out all the special stuff that we have going on with the show. We have some big interviews coming up this month, and we are also going to have year-end awards for which I would love for all of you to contribute. Also, Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn show. Every single five-star review helps boost us in the rankings and get us more noticed and more prominent, and that is extremely important for the future of this podcast. Also, if you happen to be a first-time listener, please do not forget to subscribe wherever you can find great audio, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify, the Getting Over podcast is absolutely everywhere. As I said, this is a massive show, a big Thursday show talking AEW Dynamite and NXT TakeOver War Games 2020. So the Silver King decided, you know what? He's not going to be able to do this on his own. And I already brought back BC, the Brian Campbell, the handsome Nick Costos. I said, why don't we just complete the damn trilogy? So with me today, for the first time in a long time, None other than Black Jack Crosby. Jack, welcome back to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And thank you for having me back. But you see, when there's total nonstop action, I just can't resist. You see what I did there? It's the impact of your return, I think, that is going to get people excited. (laughs) Uh, No, but, you know, Jack is certainly alluding to something that happened in the main event of AEW Dynamite, which we will get to shortly. But Jack, uh, let's catch people up briefly on your... Wrestling consumption, it has been reduced by a significant margin as of late. Uh, what exactly is going on week to week for you? Uh, that all that all depends. I don't watch much WWE anymore. Just I just didn't. During this pandemic, I got to spend a lot more time with my wife, which is pretty cool. And then That's it not just, a bad thing. It yeah. just <laughs> became a thing where like, you know, it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, you know, I mean, whatever. It's a lot, yeah. It's it's a lot, you know. WrestleMania. I appreciated WrestleMania for what it was, and I appreciated WWE doing that. I still do. 
given us that. But then after that, I started watching, as I'm watching the shows, going, I don't like this. And then my wife started asking me, she's like, did you like, she would point out different things. Did you even like, I was like, no, I really didn't. She's like, why are you doing this thing? <laughs> like, why, why, why are we watching this? Well, let's watch something else. And then we did. And then like, anytime I tune in to try to tune back into WWE over the summer, I'd be like, I really, I just don't like this. It's, it's not for me. I, I watch AEW, and then every once in a while, since Ring of Honor's come back, I really liked what they did with the pure title tournament. That was exciting. I, I watch a little bit of that when I can, but mostly my consumption on a regular basis is just AEW on Wednesdays. And that's usually when you have time for it. Pretty much, yeah. It, it's when, And plus, you know, my wife still likes it, too. She likes watching it, so that's something we consume together every week. But other than that, that's about it. Are you up on the Roman Reigns heel turn? Okay, that that's one thing. Matches? That's one thing that I will admit. Especially, well, it de- it depends now. If there's a if there's an important college football game on Fridays, then I won't tune into SmackDown. But if there's nothing mm-hmm. really, if there's nothing really going on on the college football front, if I see what well, I I'll look on Twitter, and if I see Roman is going to be on Fox or is on Fox, I'll tune really quick just to watch, literally just to watch it. Like my WWE consumption yeah. is Roman Reigns. It really is that good. Like, like even for people who don't or are, are kind of tuned out for WWE, the Roman Reigns, not just the character, but the storyline that they're building with him week to week, it really is special. And, you know, I do think credit is deserved there, but you know, you're right, especially during the pandemic era, you know, people are, kind of tuning out honestly all it, of wrestling there, it, there are episodes of dynamite that you know in the past should have from a ratings perspective i'm, I'm only saying should have hit you know 800 900 that are hitting 650 700 not yeah. 650 they never get that low but uh you know a 700 you're like well why aren't more people watching this and, and i think people are forgetting and this was the same for sports there's still a pandemic going on for months upon months there was an election and a political yeah. climate that was very divisive and and had really gotten people's attention. And I think just right now and, and the timing, this is kind of leading into winter is coming. The timing of this event for AEW was really great because I think people are just starting to say, you know what? Yeah, the pandemic's still going on and I'm still going to be careful and all this stuff. But man, it's been a while. I'm going to start kind of reverting my attention back to some of those things I used to enjoy. And I think AEW may have actually on Wednesday night struck while the iron was somewhat hot with this special event. And re- and re- wrestling as a whole is going to start to come back because just like, like, like clockwork, and we talk about this every year, is that we're at the point in time where it's Royal, it's going to be Royal Rumble season. So right after TLC. Right. You're going to, even the WWE, you're going to see people start to come back. Maybe I'll tune into maybe like the go home show or so. I, you know, and of course, like, sure. That's the thing. I'm not going to miss like the Royal. Well, the Royal Rumble. Rumble. I'm not gonna, and the Royal Rumble is the Royal Rumble. Rumble. Yeah, I'm not. And WrestleMania is WrestleMania, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to miss those. It was just I really had to cut like, and I even see you sometimes on Twitter or in our Slack channel where kind of be like, "What the hell was that?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm not going to do that every week to myself." Right. I'm right. not going to like right. if I could. Well, Monday Night Football helps too, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't um, need to watch Retribution on Monday nights. Like, no. It's just very simple. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. the, the best thing, it's called just one last point since I don't get to talk about it a lot. The, the thing that gets me about the Roman Reigns thing that I kind of respect more than anything else is not just his character work. It was the fact that he came back and it was it's blatantly obvious that he told Vince, I will come back, but you're going to let me do what I want to do. 
Absolutely. He kind of backed Vince into a corner where, you know, all controlling and, you know, tells everyone, even up to a Roman Reigns, you're going to do this, this, and this. Roman, Roman knew he had the chips on his side of the table. He said, I'll come back at SummerSlam, but then I'm here's what I want to do. And if you don't let me do it, I'm not going to come back. Yes. And it was also pretty obvious, at least for me, based on the early part of the booking, that this was not, hey, I'll be back in two months. Why don't you go ahead and work out the storyline? This is the storyline I want, but you guys work it out. It felt to me like it was something. I mean, once they, I'm trying to remember how it all transpired, but it felt to me like it was inside of a month. It, yeah, that, Where, I agree. You know, that was definitely that, that. This wasn't this wasn't some slow burn behind the scenes. This was call Roman. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, or it was Roman. Hey guys, you know, I I, I hear you're testing. You're actually testing now. Which shame on you. Um, how's it going? What's the procedure? Talking to his doctor. Hey, do you think this is safe for me to go back to work? Okay, it's safe. I'm willing to come back because look, credit to Roman Reigns. No one has ever said that guy lacks work ethic. I mean, no. this is a guy who busts his damn ass. You know, him, Moxley, and, and I'm not saying Rollins isn't like that, but we know what Roman Reigns and John Moxley are like from a work ethic standpoint, right? Yep. And, and and you know what? I, Seth Rollins, too. I don't even know why I said, like, maybe not. It definitely. I mean, he was the hardest working guy in WWE for basically a calendar year. So all three of those guys have that insane level of work ethic. But look, Roman had brand new twins, and he's every... He had every right in the world to step away. And if I was him, I would have also. But you are correct. The fact that he was able to leverage mm-hmm. his star power to say, not only am I only going to come back when it's safe, but I'm only going to come back the way I want to come back. And you can't stop me, Vince, because guess what? There's competition where if you want me to sit out for three years or however much longer is left on my contract, I'll just sit out and you'll lose your biggest star. Or uh, I'll start talking about it publicly and you're screwed, right? So he had all of the cards on his side of the table. So many and I think it Jack. ultimately resulted in Jack. I mean, Moxley's run is great and we'll talk about it, you know, as we get through the month. But Roman Reigns, the character work, I mean, he is on the short list for wrestler of the year and he's only been back a couple months. I would I would definitely say he's for his character work has just been uh, the, the it's the he, best in it's the, the best in years. Honestly. The thing he did with Jay Uso was phenomenal from a storyline standpoint and a work standpoint. What he's going to do with Kevin Owens is going to be nothing short of phenomenal. Whether I watch yeah. it or not, I know that that's going to be phenomenal. When the Daniel Bryan thing happens, mm-hmm. that's you know that that you can't fail that that that's 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 yeah, a, it's that's fail safe. It's right impossible. There. It's impossible. Then, in in know, fact, honestly, I'll tell you this: the the expectation is five stars. The only it question, just is. the only question is um, is where he goes to WrestleMania, and that's that I think is one of the burning questions of wrestling right now. Like, what do you do with Roman at WrestleMania? It's a huge question, and you know the, the, what you have to wonder is when this all kind of started. You know, it was very heavily on family, and the expectation from fans right away was The Rock. Right. But and I've said this on podcast this week, I actually I talked about it with Chris on Tuesday's show. I said, are you really going to have the rock Roman Reigns in front of 10,000 fans in Tampa? No, you can't. You can't. You can't do that. You, you, you can't. can't. Like, I, I know people want it. I know it would make sense. You can't do that. But but there, you're not going to have full crowds in March, even if there's a vaccine that starts getting in people's arms later this month. It's going to take until the summer 
for everyone to or enough people to have it where they start deeming these things safe for full crowds again. And man, even and forget that even for if you're forgetting that the idea of doing Roman Reigns versus The Rock anywhere except New York, Los Angeles, maybe a Las Vegas or a Philadelphia, somewhere like that. It just doesn't really work for me. And I don't I, I, not work. Forget work for me. I don't think it works for WWE. I mean, you have the ability you had previously scheduled to have WrestleMania in Hollywood. Yeah. The Rock potentially being in that role. For me, you say, you know what? Screw it. Let's keep this title on reins. At some point, he can lose it briefly. We'll work it kayfabe-wise in a triple threat or whatever. He'll win it back. And then we build that matchup for 2022 WrestleMania, WrestleMania 38. And this year, we just find someone else who's a really damn good person to be in a match with Reigns at WrestleMania. That's, I was just going to say that. Because like, I think your estimate is good. Somewhere 10,000, 15,000 will be allowed in Raymond James. I would think somewhere in that area, but yeah. you can't throw Roman Reigns and the rock out there for that. So WWE should take this as a test and say, who can we grab on this loaded roster? We have with people sitting in catering who should be on TV every week. Who can we grab? And since Roman is so good at lifting other people up, who can we have some fun with? Because I don't know, you know, better from what I see, the biggie experiment is not, I don't want to say over, but they kind of hit the brakes a little bit. I just think it was I just think he was a victim of circumstance with Survivor Series. They they the SmackDown men's team, you know, for what you don't know, it got swept by the Raw team. So they didn't want to put him on that team to lose, got which it. is actually really good foresight. It, it, WWE, like I just went through the pod the podcast with BC and Nick where they're they're crapping all over WWE. And I got some people tweeting me, hey, you didn't stand up for WWE enough. Well, number one, not my job. Okay? <laughs> I don't I don't stand up for a company that no, I criticize Adam, Adam, 50% of the but time. You see, you see in, today's, in today's climate, you're I supposed know, to be one or the other, especially if you have a yeah. podcast. You're obligated to be one or the that, other. That's the thing that people really don't. That's a lot of people who listen to the show, and I love all of you. Let me clarify. I love all of you, no matter what your opinions of me or the show or my, my opinions, whatever. Um, but they think because I criticize AEW sometimes. I hate AEW. No, I criticize NXT. I criticize WWE equally. But to give WWE credit, and these are some of the things it is doing better recently. It's not putting its superstars in positions unnecessarily. So like, had they put Big E in the Survivor Series match where should he have been in that match? Generally, yes, right? Because he's one of your bigger stars. He's someone they're promoting. Had they put him in there, the, the booking was for them to get swept. So then Big E is losing and getting swept as part of this thing, even if he's the last one on the team. So they kept him away from that. Because of that, they didn't use him really in terms of matches and stuff because they didn't have space for him on the show, although they should have, but didn't book him in squash matches that whole time. But they kept him off matches for about five weeks. So people are like, oh, they're giving up on Big E. No, they're not. Just like AEW, when they AEW does not use Lance Archer for six weeks, they said, hey, we're not going to use him right now, but no. when the time is right for a major angle, we're going to bring him back. Right now, it looks like he's about to go after, excuse me, the uh, Intercontinental Championship, which is certainly not nothing. So, But to your point, yes, there's all these people that they can utilize for that Roman Reigns spot. And I think because they're already using Kevin Owens for a B-level pay-per-view, it seems to me like Daniel Bryan's going to be that opponent for Royal Rumble, that, hey, maybe they'll hold Daniel Bryan out for WrestleMania. Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan is most certainly a WrestleMania match I, any year, anywhere in the world. If but I probably would I happen not. to think, 
I happen to think it might be either Biggie or Rey Mysterio for me. If, if I probably would have done anything, because I watched the clip on Twitter from the from the end of last week's SmackDown, I probably would have reversed things really quick. I probably would have had Brian take this feud for now, and I probably would have had KO go to WrestleMania with Roman. Possibly. I mean, Owens is doing great. Yeah, I probably would have had KO go to Mania. With, but with you have to, for, what I explained on the show, and we'll, guys, we're going to get to AEW Dynamite and NXT really, really quick. Uh, but the last, the last thing, I'll, I'll put a bow on it right here. The thing I explained on Tuesday's show is this. How apropos would it be if you either have Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble, the event where both of their careers took a major turn because they forced Reigns into victory on the same show that Bryan returned where fans wanted him to win the Royal Rumble. Or Brian actually wins the Royal Rumble and they tell that story over the ensuing four months to WrestleMania. So I personally happen to believe whether it's Rumble, whether it's Mania, saving Brian for one of those from a storytelling perspective because of how deliberate they're being with the Roman Reigns storyline and how much in that storyline in particular, I trust them. I think it's pretty smart booking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like we said, with, with, the, with the way Roman is working right now. I don't think you you can't fail either way. You really can't. Okay. But that is enough of all of that. Let's get to actually what the show is about, which is the Wednesday night wars for lack of a better term. It's hardly a war. AEW basically wins every single week. Uh, But we're going to start of course this week with AEW dynamite and their very special winter is coming episode. It was heavily promoted for multiple weeks, primarily with the main event in mind. John Moxley defending the AEW World Championship against Kenny Omega. Now, Jack, there's a lot that happened here and a lot that happened in the show. So I'm going to kind of break this up into different sections and have us kind of break it down piece by piece. Uh, The show opened with Moxley cutting a promo about how far he and AEW have come over the last year plus. And the only thing left for him to do is tear the house down and make them go absolutely banana, which was a nice little uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of tribute to Pat Patterson. Yep. Don Callis showed up again to call the match, which I thought was a nice touch for a big bout like this involving Kenny Omega. It started also with 35 minutes left in the show, and Tony Khan had previously said that TNT would allow there to be an overrun if necessary. So everything about the setup to this match had me all into it from the start. I thought they did a great job. The yep. one criticism I'll give for the lead-in is... I really wish they had done multiple video packages during the first 90 minutes of the show to promote the match, number one, and explain the storyline because there were a lot of first-time or maybe rare viewers. Nick Costos is a great example. He doesn't normally watch AEW, but he knew Kenny Omega was in the main event. You want to tell them what the storyline is. You want to explain why Omega suddenly is a heel if you're someone who has not watched the product in three months. And I did feel like they failed where, you know, candidly, a WWE would have exceeded, uh, succeeded in actually building the match on the specific show itself. Yeah, because, I mean, it's funny you said it because Nick texted me, Nick texted me yesterday and, and pretty much said, hey, explain this to me. Right. He Like, it's funny you mentioned he texted me yesterday. He said, explain this to me really quick. Um, no, it, it was like Kenny's heel turn, which please people, if you don't, like, you know, I've said this before. Don't listen to Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer's trying to spew this thing of he's, he's in between. He, he may be, he might even be a face. Dave said, well, he's as, please, he's, please he's as heel listen. as a heel gets. Please don't listen to Meltzer. For yes. Christ he's he's been at, 
He's been as heel as a heel gets for weeks. But it's it's been a nice slow burn since the breakup with with uh, with Hangman. Yeah, like they lost the tag team titles, and Kenny was kind of like, "Man, what am I doing?" Like who he it, it was it was that classic story of going to find yourself. Like you lost yourself. Like he's like, I got I signed with this company, which is basically my company. And what the hell have I been doing this last year? I'm not me. Right. And then, of course, that reverts back to going back to being the cleaner from where he that rise to prominence in New Japan really started when he became the cleaner, joined the Bullet Club. And just that, like, knowing that confidence of knowing I'm the best wrestler in the world. I don't care what anyone says. I know I am. So I'm going to go in and do it. And, and then slowly sorry, but surely his attitude is just, like he's just a cocky asshole. Like the the, Ken, the Kenny Omega we all we all fell in love with in the first like the Kenny Omega where it was the complete package because we we knew Kenny was a great wrestler from his years on the Indies with PWG and then of course his time in DDT with Kota Ibushi we knew Kenny was a great wrestler but the cleaner gimmick was where he put it all together and, and there's a lot of people who don't know that gimmick. exactly they so just don't and and even if you can't use NJPW footage and stuff like that. It's they're working well with companies. You can probably reach out to Ring of Honor and get some of their stuff. Um, you know, you probably, by the way, for, forget even that, the cleaner part of it. There's AEW history between Moxley and Omega. Their first match not happening um, because Moxley got, uh, I think, MSRA or MR, MRSA, MRSA, whatever yeah. the hell, however you spell it, um, because of that. And then they had a match, but it was very heavily weapon involved and a lot of people didn't like it. And by and the way, I, I, but I, but I, that was one touch of the story. I did like how they immediately threw in, Hey, unsanctioned match didn't count. Right. Yes. But, but then there was the build leading into this of Omega saying, I want a clean match. Mm-hmm. So now you're in the match and that plays into the match. We'll talk about that briefly in, in a moment, yep. but you don't have any of those video packages earlier in the show kind of telling you, Hey, this is why this is all important. So I did think they dropped the ball in the lead up to the match on the show itself on the week prior. They did a really nice video package in all of the weeks building into it. They did a really good build to this feud, but on the show itself, I felt they were lacking. Anyway, let's get into the match itself now. This is where I get a little long winded. Uh, So the first 20 minutes were pretty formulaic uh, due to commercials. There were two long commercial breaks. Omega focused mostly on Moxley's knee. Mox hit a really cool pump handle exploder. Omega later hit an incredible tope going hero, as he always does. Uh, Moxley caught Omega with a paradigm shift, but didn't even try for a cover. Instead, he grabbed two chairs and he set them up in the ring. They sat down and hit kind of shoot palm strikes on each other until Omega knocked Moxley off his chair with a V-trigger, then a snapdragon. This was very similar to the NJPW blow-for-blow spots that they usually have towards the end of matches. But for me, it was pretty stupid when you're in the middle of this big title fight with two guys who the the storyline is not about brutality, whereas with Moxie and Eddie Kingston, this spot would have made sense. In this type of match, for me personally, it didn't make sense. Omega was on a roll until Moxley wrecked him with a lariat that had Omega fall on his head. I actually thought he got hurt there, but luckily he didn't. Mox hit a second paradigm shift, but he was slow to cover, and Omega kicked out at 2.8. Bunch more V-triggers. There was a Tiger Driver 98. Omega, uh, that got a 2.5 count on Moxley. Mox escaped the one-winged angel twice. Omega hit a rain trigger and a nice callback to Kazushka Okada in New Japan. 
And then uh, Moxley hit this weird paradigm shift into a box that had heaters at ringside, except Kenny didn't go through it and he didn't actually even touch it, but he did kind of land on his head. So the referee calls over a doctor, multiple referees show up. Don Callis runs down from the commentary position and Moxley's away from them, like giving them all time. Then he gets fed up. He goes, pulls them all off one by one, throws Omega back in the ring. Callus is suddenly on the ring apron with a microphone, basically begging Moxley to stop. Moxley knocks him down. The mic gets thrown into the ring. Omega grabs the mic, hits Moxley in the head. The foam rubber of the microphone somehow busts him open. Obviously, a clear blade job for Moxley. Omega hits four V triggers and then the one winged angel to win the AEW World Championship. So let's pause here, Jack, before we talk about what happens next. I have mixed emotions on this. I did not expect a squeaky clean finish for anyone who listened to the show last week where I previewed this match. Omega is a heel, and he's kind of coasted to this opportunity outside of the Hangman Page match. The, The rest of the way in that tournament, he basically didn't beat anyone of any substance. On last week's show... I suggested a schmaz finish was likely given A, that this was on TV and B, Omega's character. That's not to say I wanted that to happen, but I wasn't that surprised where I think others were surprised and dismayed and disappointed that that's how the match ended. I wasn't surprised, but yes, I was disappointed because while I love that Omega is the new champion, we finally got the Omega Moxley match in a real match way that we wanted. And it was picking up steam and we were headed to a finish that was, to me, going to be epic. It seemed that 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 final five minutes of actually wrestling in that match was as good as anything, but the rest of the match didn't necessarily live up to it. And then it ended the way it did. Moxley was almost overprotected in the finish, if that's even such a thing, when he didn't need to be because the guys never lost a major match, or I don't think any match in AEW. So the idea of Mox taking all this punishment in the matches with Eddie Kingston, previously with Omega, all the hardcore matches he's had in AEW, but a mic to the head, a foam mic to the head, busting him open and rendering him unable to defend himself in the context of those other matches is a bit silly. So the title change was great because they needed to change the title. It was getting very stale with Moxley. I'll kind of talk about a little bit how the match progressed for me after you get a chance to speak. But for me, there were pluses and minuses. I don't think it was perfect. I don't think it was terrible. I've seen opinions in both extremes. I legitimately think it was a mix right in the middle. It was an average match. That, that's what it was. Like, I'm not going to sit here. And again, like you say, you don't defend WWE. It's not your job. A lot of people think I just defend AEW. That, that was not a great main event match by any no, stretch. It wasn't. It wasn't. Which, thankfully for them, that wasn't the point of the end of the show. So you you kind of get you don't get so many people talking about oh well that match kind of sucked you have people talking about the angle afterwards. I think but just to briefly interrupt you and then you'll I can I'll let you continue. I think the reason people that are very negative towards it are negative towards it is because they're still in the mindset of what AEW first said when it started. Basically, they said we're going to be sports focused, a work rate company. We're going to put on great matches with clean finishes. None of the BS you get from WWE. And then what AEW's truly become is, and I've said this numerous times, a lot closer to WWE than it is New Japan. And when you are a professional wrestling company, you just can't have every match be a clean 
finish, a work rate five star match is just not. Well, I don't happen. think Tony ever said that every match was going to be a clean finish. He I didn't. I don't think he, he never ever, because look at look he at never the, said that. Look at all the goofiness in New Japan. Like you say, be like New Japan. Look at all the goofy shit going on in New Japan. You, you are a hundred percent. He mean, never said that, but that's not what people heard. They well, heard they, we're exactly. not going to be WWE. And and to be fair, AEW does not do a lot of disqualification because in I fact, do, I defend they that almost at, do none. I defend that aspect of it too. Like when people say, well, this isn't there. I was like, it's a mainstream professional wrestling company. What did you expect? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's, it's just, they're going to try to do it better than WWE. That, that's all they're going to try to do. They're going to try, they're going to try to do it better. Like that's all. They, like they, 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 this isn't going to be, a, a, like you said, clean finishes, one, two, three, every time out. It's not going to happen like that. Exactly. Because you're, you're going to have guys that, whether right, whether right or wrong, you're going to want to protect. Like obviously they wanted to protect Moxley. You want to protect, so, and also you have heels where you kind of don't want them to be the strongest person. And, you, you know, you're in the middle of turning Kenny into this. Well, actually, probably on the tail end now, we'd say. You're on the tail end of turning Kenny Omega full heel. So you have to protect your babyface champion in that aspect. If this was babyface Kenny fighting all the way back after a year, and I can do this, I can do this. Yeah, you have him go in there and V-trigger the hell out of Mox, one-winged angel, and pin him. But you can't do that last night. You ha- you have to you have to do something, whether people liked it. Like I said, I didn't like the match. I didn't like it at all. But yeah, I oh, sorry, I thought you were done. Go and ahead. there's also this expectation for AEW that every match on TV is going to be like a Wrestle Kingdom main event. That is also not going to happen. Like I I, I saw so many people last night when that main event started at nine twenty five. I saw so many people last night thinking. This might go past 10 o'clock. I'm like, what kind of drugs are you taking? Well, Tony, listen. You he said Tony it. He Conrad, put, I get it. But they bit, they bit into yeah. it. And I'm like, yeah. no way in hell. I love John Moxley. John Moxley is not going to go that long. Correct. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Like, let's cool when, it when, there. When Tony said that, I think what he was really saying was, hey, guys, if it, if it ends up going a minute or two over, they're not going to cut us off. Like they're expected like these two to go 70 just because, well, but then again, that's the narrative that's been created. Anytime you see Kenny Omega. Exactly. So you think the possibilities there, but no, this, if the match was very, very, like I said, average, well, it wasn't terrible by any means. It was, it, it was average, but the point of the show was obviously the angle afterwards. Yeah. I think the best way for me to describe this match, my feelings during the match were like this. I didn't like it, and then I really liked it. And then I didn't like it again, and then I liked it at the end. Like, it was literally that range of emotions. The first 20 minutes of that match, I could not have cared. It was just like any other match. It was nothing. There were there was a 10-minute period in that match where had that been the entire match, I would have said, damn, this is yeah. pretty damn good wrestling. But we only got 10 minutes of it. Now, again, that was on purpose, and... I think, again, people get bothered when wrestling companies act like wrestling companies. You, yeah. you, people forget, yeah, AEW may be a little bit more fan-focused, but they're really leaning on, we're the company for you, to get you to watch their damn product. They're still a business. They're still a corporation. Tony Khan is a wrestling promoter. He's not your friend. Okay, he he may do things that are closer to your sensibilities as a wrestling fan, but that doesn't mean he's going to book everything squeaky clean and and, you know, exactly the way you want him to. Ultimately, his job is to get people to watch his damn show. And the what happened? He got yeah. people to watch the main event of a December 3rd 
or whatever date it was, Dynamite, between two really good wrestlers. He made you think it was the match of, of all time in AEW that it was going to be the teardown, knockdown, dragout fight between Kenny Omega and John Moxley that we've been waiting for. But no, he didn't give you that. Did he give you something? Yeah, he gave you a title change and he gave you a storyline, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But guess what? He's going to save that potential five-star match for a pay-per-view that you need to pay $50 for. Tony Khan's not your friend, but guess what? He's a pretty damn good wrestling promoter. Plus, he's going to. if you don't like what he's doing, if, you, if you're one of those, then stop watching because TNT is very happy with him. Warner Media oh, yeah, is absolutely. very, very happy with what AEW has put out over the last year. They're very look, happy with them. Look, that show on Wednesday, I don't know. Like every week, I think I know what the ratings are going to be. I'm surprised. NXT kind of beat AEW last week. I was shocked, truly. It just didn't make any sense why it would have happened. I think this is going to get 900 to a, a million in terms of 900,000 to a million. Yeah, I, I was thinking this might, this might go close to it. You have people who don't watch AEW, but do watch New Japan who are going to tune in for Kenny. You got WWE fans and maybe even NXT fans who are like, yeah, you know, we watch NXT, but this is a really big match. So we want to watch this in the main event. NXT did not counter strong, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the I show. Heard, I heard about that. It wasn't a great, it wasn't a good even. For go a go-home show. show, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the main event match was actually really good. It was, I mean, uh, what's it was Shotzi Blackheart against Raquel Gonzalez in a ladder match. It was pretty freaking good. I'm not going to lie. But the show didn't give you a reason to stay tuned and they didn't promote it as something that would really be competition for this. They kind of let AEW do their thing. And I don't know, maybe it was a little bit of a test or maybe just because of the timing of war games, they're like, look, we can't give this stuff away. We have to save it for the pay-per-view. But regardless... Tony did exactly what he needed to do in this spot. If you didn't like it, I'm not telling you that you need to like it. I'm just telling you that your perceptions of AEW, a lot of people are warped into this company's always going to give me exactly what I want. They only care about my wrestling sensibilities. No, no, they care about ratings and making money. And yes, they want to make you happy because they know if they make you happy that you'll watch their product and buy t-shirts and, and do all that stuff. So. Again, I liked, I, I didn't like the main event until I liked it. And then I didn't like it again until I liked it. It's just, that's how it was. It, it went ebbs and flows up and down. It was not a great match, as you said, but was it good wrestling storytelling? Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. that I think is something that we can discuss <laughs> right now. I actually did miss this and I had a DM I meant to read because so many of you sent me DMs. I'm sorry, Justin Downs at JT Downs 9. He says, how does AEW say they are different from WWE? If they do, it's a total joke. AEW has tried to make their name on clean finishes and big matches. Instead of just simply putting over one of, if not the greatest wrestlers in the world, they have to have a false finish to end a strong, long title run. So uh, that would really be my only criticism. The end of what you said there, Justin. Uh, number one, I agree. It's not that different from WWE. I've been saying it for a long, long time, except for the, the quality. You may like their the storytelling better. Um, the only real qualm, Jack, and not brief before we move on to the rest of this match, I did think the finish should have been clean. I, I think that even if Callis had hit him with the microphone and then they, that gives Kenny an advantage, but they still wrestle for three or four minutes and then Kenny wins, at least it would have been a little bit cleaner, no pun intended, than Moxley kind of just succumbing to that where he's been built so strong, he shouldn't have almost been beaten that easily. I would have... Or protected that much, I guess, is what I, I'm trying to say. Um, I, I disagree. I don't think the finish should have been clean, but I also don't think the finish should have been 
as muddled as it was with the whole heater thing. I think it could have been as simple as maybe the match gets really intense and Callus gets up from the booth and says, I have to go watch my friend or I have to, I have to go watch my protege and closer. Callus goes to ringside, slips him some brass knuckles or something. Old school wrestling, just slips them really quick. And then Kenny gets the job done that way. I don't think it needed to be with that. And the 10,000 referees and Callus running around in circles and the microphone. Could have been like just, Moxley not going after him, but then deciding it, to go yeah, after it, him. Yeah, it, it could have yeah. just been that easy. If Callis could throwing the headset off and saying, I have to go watch my protege. I, I can't take this. Yeah. And then goes okay. up there and then just slips him a little brass knuckles or something, bang, and then we're out of here. I would have preferred that as well. I agree with you. If that was booked, it would have been a little bit better, but still. Like you're, tell, you're already telling this story of why Callis and Kenny are so close. <laughs> just, right. just have Callis say, I can't take this anymore. I have to go up there. I, I'm, I'm with you totally. Uh, okay, so let's move on to what happened after the match, because that's really an entire oh, boy. So after the match, Callus grabs Omega, runs the new champion out of the building, past Tony Khan, who, by the way, every time that they was show great. Tony, it's just funny, every time they show Tony in the gorilla position, it's just so funny. It really, like, look, I, I'm not like a, a big, tall, strapping, six foot, ten guy, you know, muscular dude. But it is always so funny to see Tony Khan in the gorilla position where for years you're used to seeing like Vince and Triple H, right? To see like a smaller guy with glasses, like wrestling, you know, quote unquote, I really mean this quote unquote, no insult me, me, uh, meant wrestling nerd type of guy being up so angry that Don Callis and Kenny Omega got over on him. So I just find it so funny whenever they show him or like the Bucks throw money at him. It's Ooh, just that always was good funny. Too, yeah. It's just always funny for me. Okay, so anyway, they run past Tony Khan. They run past a bunch of wrestlers in masks, all yelling at them and waving their fists. They're so mad that this just happened into a Escalade that's waiting outside. Uh, Alex Marvez shows up out of nowhere. Uh, somehow he was waiting in the <laughs> parking lot. Uh, shows up out of nowhere, shoves a microphone in Callis's face, and he's like, what the hell's happening? Jim Ross is screaming that they got job. That was actually a good call from JR. Uh, and Don Callis says, Everyone will find out the deal with Ten- Kenny Omega on Tuesday night during Impact on Access TV. So AEW, clearly the number two company in wrestling in, in America, is now working with Impact at least a bit beyond what we already figured was a somewhat mutually beneficial relationship. Their brand new champion, who fans have been clamoring to get the title for a year, will debut with it on another program that most people can't even see because access TV wise, I know they have Twitch. I'm just saying not in a ton of homes. And now I'm going to hold out criticism or praise. I'm actually going to hold out both because clearly there's a larger angle at play here. And we can talk in a moment about the direction we think it might go. I also don't want to be too high or too low on it without seeing it play out. And I want your take, but am I interested? That is the number one question about wrestling. Am I going to do what they want me to do? Which in this case is watch Impact on Tuesday and then watch AEW next Wednesday. I absolutely am. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be good. It could end up being bad. It could be stupid or it could be revolutionary. We just don't know. But the goal of professional wrestling and the booking at the end of television shows is to get you to take an action. Sometimes it is to buy a pay-per-view. Occasionally, it's because they, someone debuts, they have new merch, they want you to buy shirts, whatever the case. Sometimes it's just to tune into their show next week. And what AEW accomplished on Wednesday night for me as a wrestling fan 
is they got me curious about an angle and they got me to say, I can't wait to tune in and find out what's going to happen next. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? Yeah. It's still or 12 hours, like whatever it is. Still a lot to take in. It's just weird. Didn't, it's, see it, didn't see it coming because I like a lot of people. It's weird. I did kind of bite into the fact that the end of last night's show wasn't going to be an impact partnership. It was going to be a New Japan partnership. Most, like, okay. most likely with Kenta. Because Kenta for weeks has been with the briefcase for the IWGP US title. Where's John Moxley? Where's I don't Moxley? Even know what, I don't even know what's going on there. Well, basically, well here's, the, here's the deal. And this is why it was so logical. And it still might be. I'll get to that. It still might be. Did he win the G1, Kenta? Kenta has been, he won the briefcase. I forget, I, again, I, I watch New Japan when I can, but he has a briefcase for the IW, they have a briefcase now for the IWGP US title at Wrestle Kingdom. Kenta, you see me about once a week, cuts a promo where he says, where's John Moxley? Because I think people forget during this pandemic, Mox is still the IWGP US champion. Never lost that title. I know, it's crazy. So Kenta's going, well, where's John Moxley? I, I need to cash this in. Where's John Moxley? And then Kenta, to, God bless him. I, lo- I love Kenta. Hated it today with Tommy. I love Kenta. Week ago, he posts a picture of him landing in a plane. That's it. No caption. Nothing. Yesterday, he posts a tweet. He says, what's going to happen on Wednesday? And I was like, oh, this, this guy, either, either he's trying to swerve us or something. So that's why it was so loud because there were some people saying, well, maybe Kota Ibushi helps. Kenny win the title. Mm. Maybe that's mm, the that maybe that's cool. maybe that's the thing. But the most logical thing was Kenta is the one that's been attacking him. And then this is how because since Harold Mage was removed from his presidency at New Japan, Tony Khan even came out and said, Okay, now I'll talk to them. Because Mage mm. was the problem. It's he was way. he was the one sticking his nose down at AEW. And that's why Tony said, Well, screw you, pal. He goes, You'll you'll get Moxley and Jericho because I'm a man of my word and I agreed to it. But you're not getting anything else from me. They agreed on their own. I agreed with them. Like, we have an agreement here. But, all right, if you want to be that way, well, Mage is gone now. So Tony says, all right, I'll talk to them now. And with Wrestle Kingdom coming up, we it figured it, it, all the pieces were aligning. So that's why it was easy to think that a New Japan partnership was the one that was going to close the show last night. Instead, we get Impact Wrestling, which at first, I have to admit, I um I wasn't on board with because I really you, you know like a New Japan partnership is one thing because New Japan Impact is, sucks. It's easy to say. New Japan's awesome. No. Impact generally. See that's no, Impact doesn't suck. Well, okay, maybe Impact's, not recently. It's Impact's gotten better, per, but I'm saying production value sucks. Impact's creative is sketchy. Okay. I I sat back and so where are you going? Where are you going here? <laughs> when I thought of it with this partnership, the talent that's there right now, okay, should Chris not Bay. be overlooked. Yeah, yeah agreed. And because I did, I crapped on it at first in the moment because like a new like New Japan is WWE in their country. That's why it's like apples to apples with AEW and New Japan. <laughs> on the surface, AEW Impact is apples to oranges, but. I started thinking, all right, think of the talent that's in there now. Like, like, again, creative decisions. Like, Rich Swan is their world champion. That's wrong. 
I watched it. I, I, I love. Rich, I, I watched the last page. I watched the last paper. I, I love Rich Swan. G- good wrestler. Good hand. Not a world champion. Now Tuesday, like you're going to put a real world champion in Kenny Omega, and you're going to be like, man, this, come on, these are two different yeah, dudes right. here. They're not. They're not two world champions. Come on now. But all in all, I sat back and I let it stir for a bit. And I thought to myself, let, just like anything in wrestling, like we always say, I've said countless times on the show, let it play out for a bit. Yep. Let's see yep. where this is going. Because, again, my thing is, the, there's a stigma around impact. They, they might not ever be able to shake that TNA stink off them. Mm-hmm. But the guys and gals in that company right now should not be the ones to suffer for that. And if they're getting the opportunity through their bosses to partner with a company like AEW, who's done a better than could be expected for a first year. I think they've exceeded expectations, in all honesty. Um, Rated, I think they've exceeded. Especially, especially given the pandemic, yes. Without mm-hmm. the pandemic, I would say if this is what they were, they would have kind of maybe fallen a little below. But well, with you, no crowds, when we'll you never factor, know that, though, unfortunately. No, of course, but when you factor the pandemic into it, the fact that they're still doing as well as they are, yeah, they've yes, done. they've exceeded expectations, I agree. Yeah. So... Like those guys and gals down there that are working their asses off because I've watched some impact pay-per-views and I've, I've watched some matches and to go back, but like they, they have a stacked roster there in impact. They really, really, especially like everyone keeps pointing it out. So I'm not going to claim this as my own idea because it was a, one of the first things everybody jumps to, but the, the most beneficial part of this relationship is the women's divisions because yeah, impact true. is loaded with talented women. AEW, also pretty stacked with 10. Now you're putting seemingly like, we'll have to see what this partnership actually is first, but now you're merging those two together. And like, you're talking stuff like Deanna Perrazzo and Hikaru Shida, you know? Yeah. You have Sue Young, Jordan Grace, um, God, uh, Kimberly, you, you like, there's, there's so many talented women in impact now. And now you're merging them with what we have in AEW. And then the tag team division, like FTR started, <laughs> God bless. They started they don't tweeting. Need, they don't need more tag teams. They said, I mean, but yeah, but it, it doesn't matter. It's not about it. I know the ability to get FTR versus the North is great. I get it. I FTR, mean, the North and the Motor City Machine Guns, which, right. which by the way, now it, it, depending on how this goes, you realize Alex Shelley could compete for every major company in this calendar year. I know it's crazy. I love the dude. I, 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 I always like, like he's one of the, he's one of the great in-ring workers of this generation. And I'm just glad that like a lot of other people, I'm glad that Alex is getting any bit of shine that he can get this late in his career by doing stuff like being able to go to NXT and now maybe working a little bit with AEW. So let's advance this forward because the question now is what happens, right? I've seen people, I got a DM, I'm not going to read it. Hey, so do you think Tony Khan bought a piece of Impact and that Impact is going to be no. that second show that no. TNT is talking about? No. No, 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 no. 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 Uh, hey, how, how much do you think these companies are going to work together? First of all, the best part I just said earlier, we don't know. And, and I, the fact that I get to be a curious wrestling fan and be surprised, and I, I've said this about WWE, some of their storylines recently as well, that's the best part of being a wrestling fan where you want to tune in to see what happens Next, it's just like if, you, if you've ever seen the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts, which is an incredible movie and very underrated, but they say, hey, why do people listen to Howard Stern? This is back when he was on WNBC. Yep. And the answer was, 
We want to see what he's going to say next. And when wrestling was at its best during the Attitude Era, you wanted to see what the NWO was going to do. You wanted to see what Steve Austin and DX were going to do. You want to know what's going to happen next. Now, I'm not comparing this to that. Trust me. But they have my curiosity. They can lose it in one booking decision, but they have my curiosity. And the reason why, just like you, Jack, I went through this. I was like, really? Impact? Yeah. But then I was like, you know, over an impact, they do have the Good Brothers. Yep. And I don't know what they're doing right now, storyline-wise, uh, whether this, you know, might be something that fits. But they do have the Good Brothers over there. And the Young Bucks are pretty unaffiliated right now uh, in AEW. And Kenny Omega is becoming the cleaner again, and he's a champion. And he has Don Callis kind of on his side. And let's not forget, as you mentioned a short while ago, John Moxley was attacked backstage a few weeks ago. And we never actually definitively learned who did it. All we learned is it was not Eddie Kingston. When he said it wasn't him, Moxley assumed it was Omega. That doesn't mean it was. Could it have been, as you said, Jack, Kenta? Well, I, I still think frankly, no, probably not because of travel restrictions, right? That would have been that would have made sense. I think Kenta's here in the U.S. He's doing the U.S. shows on Fridays. There's what? New Japan shows? I think Kenta's here. Yeah, the New Japan Strong every Friday night. I think Kent is here. Oh, I didn't know they were taping in the United States. Yeah, okay. I think he's here. I'm so far out on, on New Japan right now, I don't even know what's happening. But okay, so may, okay, maybe it's Kenta. So, but maybe, of course, it's the the other members of the Bullet Club. Maybe it is the Young Bucks. Maybe it was the Good Brothers. The point is, how incredible would it be? I think people would mark the F out if this is leading to the reformation of the Bullet Club in the United States. Candidly, I don't know whether there are any pieces of it left in Ring of Honor. I know that's still going on in New Japan, but I'm just coming from the perspective of when AEW started, how did it start? It started with the Bullet Club members, the former Bullet Club members, the elite, becoming these executive vice presidents and starting it and all this stuff happening. And the Bullet Club disappeared because they splintered away from New Japan and they were the elite. And this is now all elite wrestling. But with Kenny Omega kind of almost having to move himself away from that crew, he may be headed back into that leadership role with the one faction that allowed him to be at the height of his powers. And that really wasn't the elite. They were a splinter. It really was the Bullet Club. Which, so I start thinking about that with Impact and I start to get excited. And, and I start to wonder, what if they book him in that role and they book Moxley? I mean, Moxley already draws comparisons to Steve Austin. But they book Moxley in that kind of role as the guy who ultimately will be the savior of AEW in this feud. And it's just the vibes I'm getting, and I'm excited about it. Now, it doesn't mean any of it's going to happen. None of that may happen. I may be extremely disappointed and hate exactly how they play this out and the storyline that they tell. But when I started thinking about it, I, I got excited. No, I think I think it's possible because this all goes back to when you put the when you start piecing everything together. Like like I said, when I really sat and let it stir in my head, I think this is a three way deal. I think New Japan is in it on this because Impact even has a, a working relationship with them because Chris Bay is in the Super J Cup. Right, they're just so starting in, to kind of touch base. So again. Impact yeah. has an active. I think this is a three way. I do. I still am gonna. I, I I like your idea. I'm not saying I don't like your idea at all. I still do think that Kenta is the one who attacked Moxley. 
I think that they swerved everyone by thinking that was going to be the reveal last night. And what AEW has been some pretty pretty good at doing is giving you things when you don't expect it. They, they're able to, like WWE has a tendency of if you see it coming or if Meltzer reports it, we don't care, we're going full steam ahead. AEW has a good knack for gauging the audience and saying, okay, they expect this on Wednesday, don't do it. So let's do it. Let, let them forget about it for a little bit. Let them get upset. Let them forget. And then we'll do it. Like they could do the Kenta reveal in two weeks or something like that. And you could tie them all together because don't forget, like I like your Bullet Club idea and it could work. New Japan owns those trademarks. Yeah. So you need them in this. If you, you want, if you want to do something do. like that, you need them. At least I, to some degree. Even I, if you don't use their wrestlers, you need their approval. And then I think this, this is working towards a... Um, a three-way partnership with New Japan. Now, then the question becomes, what do you do with Ring of Honor? Because as much as people do want to crap on them, they're still here. They still exist. They're still a piece of this pro wrestling puzzle. Unfortunately. So what do you do with them? Maybe, uh, like, I do think if everything goes well, they might ask them, hey, do you want in on this or not? And say, But here's your role. Here's who we can use. Like, do you guys want in on this? Now, whether it's, Sinclair wants, because it's Sinclair, whether they want to or not, that's a different story because they like th- their relationship with New Japan sucks. It it has always sucked. Mm-hmm. So they have a bad track record to begin with of working with other people. So you you would you would seriously have to have a conversation with them of listen, here's the way things are gonna go though. And if you're gonna be a crybaby about it, then we don't want you here. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how this all transpires. And it's a big angle. I mean, look how much time we're spending talking about it, right? And I, But I, I do think the key takeaway from all of this, and it's for people, again, we, we mentioned it multiple times, who anyone who thinks AEW is perfect and can do no wrong, no, they're a wrestling company. They make a lot of mistakes, okay? And we'll talk about probably some of them before we get out of, out of the show today. Um, but also people who refuse to give them credit where it's due, you got to give credit here because, yeah. okay, did we get the match we wanted? No. But again, at least for me, and I can only speak for myself, I didn't necessarily expect that we were going to get a five-star match in the main event. And I did kind of anticipate a Schmaz finish. You guys who listen, you know, I said that last week. But again, the most important thing in wrestling, the number one thing, are, am I interested? Am I curious? Are you going to get me to watch next week? Are you going to get me to take the action that you want me to take? And that answer for this is yes. And and. Go go ahead. The yeah. only before because I, I we're gonna get I know we're going over, <laughs> but we have I know yeah we got we got a roll here. But yeah. here, one more thing I was thinking about an original thought I had. One of the original ones to see where this is going is that they take the title to Impact and hold it hostage. Okay, because you know Callis did tweet out AEW screwed AEW. So this might be he did he yeah. tweeted that. AEW <laughs> screwed it. Well, somebody tweeted him, you know, you screwed AEW. And so he goes, no, no, no. AEW screwed AEW. I like that. That's good. So they hold the title hostage in impact. Tony Khan goes, and maybe don't, don't put a mic, but you know, I got to do something. And he says, Cody, go get that title back. And then Cody says, I can't, I gave up my right. And then they say, Tony, you're, you're our only hope, Cody. Go get that title. Yeah. You can have it back. Go get our title yeah, back. Yeah. And then, you know, you get some super show somewhere between, and Cody gets the AEW title. He's the yeah. hero. He's the hero. He's the white knight that gets it back for his company 
No, that works. And and Callus is also he's he's really promoting the invisible hand kind I of love gimmick Dan. that he is. I love him, Don. I know people so, hate so, him. I love him. No, I like him too. Um, I, I'm very interested really to see where this goes. But the key in all this, the the taking the action, what I was saying, getting people to watch next week. There's a second thing that happened on Dynamite <laughs> that plays into that. And we're going to get to that. I'm going to talk about what preceded it and we'll go from there. Uh, we had Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen against Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs in a tag team match. Cody had some weird tights on with a cod piece. Did you notice that? It was like yeah. focused on his groinal area. Yeah, he's, he's getting more ridiculous by the week, by the way. I love, he really, I love it's, it's really insane. Ridiculous. It's really insane. Uh, <laughs> AEW went to commercial as soon as the match started, which was a very WWE move, but shit happens. Uh, Hobbs dominated Allen for like 15 minutes. This match was actually pretty boring. I got to be honest until the fun finish with Cody hitting a springboard cutter, Allen tagging himself in for the coffin drop and getting the win. So, End was good. Match for me personally, I thought it sucked. Uh, Hobbs attacked Cody after the match. Arn Anderson got involved. Dustin Rhodes came in for the save. Then Brian Cage ran in. So they weren't outnumbered or anything. It was three on three. But yes, the faces were getting beat when the lights went out and suddenly Sting appears. The heels dipped right away. And then Sting comes to the ring. He stared at each of the faces for about five seconds. Then he picked up Darby Allen and looked at him for 30 seconds like a confused dog, not knowing what he was seeing in the reflection. Uh, and he seemed to approve of Allen. He then howled a couple times in the middle of the ring and walked out. So I'm going to be 100% honest here. From a booking standpoint, let's start there. Sting needing to save these guys by just showing up didn't make any sense. Okay, he has no business or history with Taz or his team to want to go up against them. Cody and the Nightmare family have so much help. Where's QT Marshall? Where's all these other people? So it didn't make sense that they would need Sting to show up in this specific situation. However, Tony Schiavone primarily (laughs) did such a great job selling Sting being on my television as a huge deal, that it felt like a massive moment, despite me thinking the booking itself was silly. Sting was on a TNT wrestling show in 2020. That is a huge piece of nostalgia for a lot of fans. Personally, not a Sting fan, not a WCW fan back in the day, but I know how many people were. It would be the equivalent that hit of The Undertaker, let's just say, not being on television for 10, 15 years on on the type of channel and the type of broadcast that you were expecting him, and then suddenly hearing the gong. It's a big deal for a lot of people. We can save the talk briefly, Jack, about the concept of him being back and like what he's going to do and all that going forward. Let's stick with the moment itself. Again, booking-wise, it was almost like they got Sting and we're just trying to figure out a way to jam him into something. I thought it was honestly pretty shitty booking. But from a presentation standpoint and a selling of it being a huge moment, the Titantron, even though it's not called that, the music, Tony Schiavone's call, that shit was a home run. They, it was a home run. That is because I, I am, you know, like me and BC, we were the WCW guys who watched a little more Nitro on TNT than we did raw and seeing Sting on there. That was that was a moment because like people automatically started crapping on it. Well, you know WWE with their everybody craps on WWE when they bring in the old guys, but it's like no, 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 no. This is Sting's home. 
that channel. Doesn't matter. That's his home. He's back home. Right. Like to us, fan. He's home. Doesn't matter what. He's home. He's where he belongs. Because I got to admit, I, I, like, I like Sting in WWE. I like the way that he got that out of the way in his career. But it never. And seemed, I thought they did a fine. I actually thought they did a fine job. It, it never seemed. They did it. They did okay. It just never seemed like it fit. It, right. You always get like it, it was always forced. But he was not supposed to be there. I don't he think you, you're never going to get that feeling. You're never going to get that feeling while he's with AEW. And 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 simply it is that like it's the power of just the just the fact that he's on TNT. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to just pause really. I, I want to pause you really quick to say we're never going to get that feeling. I don't know, simply because when Matt Hardy went over there, I know there's no comparison. I'm I'm not trying to compare them. But when Matt Hardy went over there, we said, we almost like put our shoulders back and stretched out wide. And we said, oh my God, creative freedom for Matt Hardy. This is going to be incredible. It's not. Now, again, Sting is not Matt Hardy. And I think they're going to be a lot more careful with Sting than they were Matt Hardy. I'm just saying, just him being there doesn't mean it will be good. That's, that's all I'm saying. No, I th- see. I disagree. I think. I think it will be. And I, I was it's those people with Matt Hardy. I don't know what they were. Th- I would. I never thought that. Uh, it's, a I lot th- of people were very, very, very. Excited. I know. I know they were, and I don't know why they thought that. Like AEW is obviously telling some of these guys, they're like, "Look, you can come here and work and be happy, but we're not gonna like treat you like God, okay? Like we'll give you a little bit of shine, but then you got to move along here." But Sting is obviously, like you said, Sting is different. Sting is Sting, and. It accomplished so many things. ESPN tweeted out last night. That's it. Mission accomplished. Because still, this is still a growing company. ESPN on its main account immediately tweeted that out. Now, you're still growing a fan base there. You still have a lot of people out there that are going, what the hell is AEW? And with Sting, I know Sting, what the hell is AEW? A little bit of research, you go, oh, these guys are like the WWE competitor nowadays. Okay, I'm going to check them out. Mission accomplished. I, I get what you're saying from didn't make sense for him to save the Nightmare family. Oh, no. The, the idea of Sting being there is going to work for although, AEW massively. Although, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm not saying it won't. Even though it didn't make sense, I still, and I, I tweeted out last night, my favorite part, the visual with him and Darby was awesome. It was cool. Yeah. Like the, I, I like there was feelings for Cody because he, like, he was looking at Cody like, you're that little kid that I used to see running around backstage. And then, of course, Arn. It's like, yeah, yeah, you, me, we know each other. <laughs> A little too well. But then when he went to Darby, that I thought was cool as hell. That whole old lion, young lion, almost like to say, and, Dar- and Darby, I, I do think, because this is, I said before about how AEW does a good job of waiting to reveal things. We knew Sting signed with AEW when the news came out that WWE pulled his merchandise. We yes. knew Sting was with this company. Then Darby starts sitting in the rafters. Mm-hmm. And I saw people speculating then, well, this is something with Sting. But then when ha- they didn't debut Sting, they let it They let it go. They let it go. Darby got his title win clean. They let it go, let it go. And then all of a sudden Sting shows up when we least expect it, which I thought that was fantastic when they could have just signed Sting, uh, had Sting sign on the dotted line and say, okay, go out there on Dynamite. They saved it for a little bit until we least expected it for a big show. I thought that was well done. And yeah, the visual with Darby was is one of my favorite images from that. And now next week, it's a Tony Schiavone interview and sting on TNT is going to be so awesome. It is. Um, let's talk about how this works or doesn't work moving forward. Uh, Steve Borden is 61. 
Uh, he was medically <laughs> retired with cervical spinal stenosis in 2016, four years ago. He looks good, um, but I can't imagine, Jack, that he's been medically cleared to compete. No. That, that said, Ric Flair did technically wrestle until he was 62, 63, though everything post-WWE, everything he did with TNA was pretty shit for him. Um, Sting has not does not have as many miles on his body, both in terms of in the ring and out of the ring, as Ric Flair. But he is in his 60s. Let's not kind of overlook that. Uh, as you said, Sting's WWE contract had expired in May. They stopped selling his merchandise in October. And this had been rumored that he would show up in AEW. I think Cody even kind of alluded to it a little bit at some point. He's going to speak on TV next week with Tony Schiavone in the middle of the ring. Maybe they're going to explain the whole thing. Pro Wrestling teased their merchandise shop. They had merch ready to go. They said that he sold more merch than anyone in 24 hours, and that was inside of 12 hours. So from an interest standpoint, from a merchandising standpoint, it is clearly working for AEW, and I think next week they're going to pop a big-ass rating because of Sting. But I am really trying to think, what the hell are they going to do with this guy? Could he occasionally throw a punch and do yeah. kind of stuff like Tully Blanchard does? Yeah. But Tony Khan announced on Twitter, and they said it on the show, that Sting has signed a multi-year deal with AEW. And again, maybe it's like an Arn Anderson role where he is a on-screen manager character. Although, like, Jesus, how many of these guys do we need? Like, every... Every single character has a Tully Blanchard or an Arn Anderson or a Jake the Snake Roberts or Vicky Guerrero. I mean, everyone needs an old former star manager. And then Sting in that role where in this, especially in this character, he doesn't really speak much. What kind what kind of role would he play in that? He's not going to be a GM. Yeah, yeah but so, Sting, Sting could be like, like, like you said, the Arn Anderson, though, instead of a play sheet, he could just give Darby baseball signals. <laughs> just touch the nose, touch the nose. <laughs> Since he carries the, the baseball, you could just give Darby baseball signals. I mean, it's it's just a wonder. It's For me, it's really a wonder what they're going to do. And it's not a bad thing. Again, they're getting me to watch the show and figure out what's going to happen. But I do, I listen, I didn't want to see The Undertaker continue to wrestle the last few years. I have not wanted to see Goldberg when he comes back to WWE. And look, I see people comparing it to those two. There is a little bit of a difference. Even though those guys are 10 years younger than Sting, yes. They, I mean, Undertaker's six now years younger, but Goldberg's almost 10 years younger. The difference is when WWE brings those guys back, they have them face top stars and beat them. They had Goldberg win the title <laughs> over The Fiend. They're not going to have Sting beat no. Kenny Omega for the AEW championship. So that's why this is different, number one. But no, I don't want to see 61-year-old Sting wrestle. If there's a singular match that he gets cleared for, and there's six months of build and they eventually have it. Okay, maybe I'll be fine with that. But to say that you signed this guy to a multi-year deal, considering he has spinal stenosis, considering, forget Edge at 47 having that and being recovered. This guy is 61 years old. I mean, AEW, you know, among the things they talked about when they began, it was creating and developing new stars and not relying on the past. They're not really fully living up to that in many ways. And my hope upon hopes is that I'm excited to see Sting back. Personally, I'm not a huge Sting fan, so it doesn't, doesn't pop me the way it popped others, but it, it was a huge surprise. 
But I really hope there's not an over-reliance on this guy, whether it's from a wrestling standpoint or kind of forcing him into storylines that don't really need him. Yeah, I mean, uh, over-reliance would be bad, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think they'll do that for you know a few weeks. Now he, He's new to the company. I think the multi-year deal thing, I think people... Not you specifically. I don't think you did, but I think a lot of people took that out of context, meaning multi-year full-time wrestler deal. Like they see those words. And that's, I think Sting is more of a player coach um, on screen talent and helping the young guys, um, helping them I wonder- along. You know, no disrespect to Jake Roberts and Arn Anderson, who are legends. And Vicky Guerrero is a memorable figure of the recent past and whatnot. Sting is Sting. Sting was involved in one of the most well-put-together, hottest storylines in the history of professional wrestling. He was in the main the, event of the, of the highest-grossing pay-per-view. The dude of all didn't time. do anything for over a yeah. year. He, did, he just didn't do anything. And every single week, people are like, I want to tune in to see him do more of nothing. Like, Sting yep. is... like. Like, look, man, like if Arn Anderson does something, ESPN is not tweeting it out. <laughs> when Arn Anderson, says, you know, when Jake Roberts, they're not tweeting it out. But when Sting showed, like Sting is, and I get he's not everyone's cup of tea because he, and a lot of it does stem from the fact that he never spent that time. And, you know, Ric Flair always tells that story of he, he tells Sting, or you, he used to tell Sting, if you go to WWE, you're going to be as big as Hogan, if not bigger. And Sting used to say, nah, nah. He goes, Vince will make you bigger than Hogan or bigger. And Sting, nah, I don't want to do it. But I think it's, you know, you're going to see a lot of them right now because it's new and it's fresh and it might pop ratings. If it it pops ratings, obviously you're stupid not to keep putting them on TV a little bit. Oh, uh, mission accomplished. If they if they get a million views next week or a million viewers next week. But I think it's a win. Yeah, I think he's, he's more to help that young talent come along because I think that multi-year deal just had, it's a backstage role and you know, maybe there's a good, there's a good chance that yes, it's the, it was a multi-year deal, perhaps even largely for merchandise rights. Um, because PWT, I believe I, I could definitely be wrong, but gives a larger percentage of merchandise royalties to the actual wrestling. Yeah, they do. Um, so it could have been that combined with, Maybe he does have some type of front office role that we just don't know about, um, or maybe it's an on-screen role. But the pl- the the coaching type of aspect stuff, like Arn Anderson, I think it's a total waste for him to be with Cody. I, think I don't it's like stupid. it. Yeah, I don't like it either. The play sheet stuff. I, I, I from the day it started, I thought I've been thinking it's stupid. The Jake Roberts stuff's a little bit better. The Tully's the best one of all of them right now. I mean, he actually does things like he's he's useful and he speaks. He cuts good promos. Um, But Sting, for me, doesn't really fit that mold. So, look, maybe they have a plan. Maybe it's a special appearance type of deal. I don't know. And again, the the coolness with it is not knowing. But, you know, Chad Placinka, I don't exaggerate. He kind of said what I'm saying. He's like, I popped for it. Then I realized he's 61. Kayfabe, I have no clue why Brian Cage and Powerhouse Hobbs, uh, which Jim ha- Jim Ross said his name a hundred times in that match, couldn't just clear him out of the ring while all the faces were already dead. He has a goddamn I'm buying him. Bet. I'm buying him as a guide and advisor, especially for Darby Allen. I'm selling all things related to Sting getting in the ring. I think that's fair. I am buying it 
in terms of Sting being there, I am selling it if their idea is to have him be a wrestler. Am I, Very am, simple. Am I going to rule out him wrestling a match? No. They might They might do something. I don't think one-on-one, maybe tag team with Cody. And I think if that's the case, then I think that there are people in that company smart enough to figure out how to get around it in an entertaining way. Agreed. All right, let's move on with the rest of AEW. We'll get you out of here afterward. Uh, we had the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal Dark Order and Hangman Page worked and celebrated together for a bit. Clearly, they're going with an angle of Page not really having friends, losing all of his friends, but Dark Order being there for him, which is what a cult would do. Uh, Scorpio Sky eliminated Sean Spears, who then loaded his glove and helped eliminate Sky. So they're still doing that angle that I still don't care about. Uh, Miro was dominant, uh, eliminating like six people as Inner Circle kind of stood in the corner waiting for the final six to develop with Miro, Jungle Boy, and Orange Cassidy being the other three. This was easily the best Miro has looked since he started in AEW because it was all simple stuff. You're big, you're strong, you're dominant. Beat be people up. It's all we need from you. Uh, Inner Circle eventually got Miro out. And then, uh, what's his name? Um, Jungle Boy and Sammy Guevara had an incredible back and forth on the ring apron. That was actually, from a wrestling standpoint, it was by far the best part of the match. And it was actually the second best part of the entire show yeah. from a wrestling standpoint, outside of like that five to 10 minutes in Moxie Omega that was really good. But the way they worked that ring apron was really crazy. MJF eliminated Guevara and Jungle Boy simultaneously. Wardlow was the only person paying attention, brought Orange Cassidy back into the ring. Then Orange Cassidy eliminated Wardlow to get to the final two next week of MJF versus Orange Cassidy for the Diamond, Dynamite, Diamond, Battle Royal Ring, whatever the hell it's called. Uh, I really, 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 really wanted Wardlow to be in the final two, whether it was with MJF or whether it was with Orange Cassidy, because I thought the storyline of MJF possibly having to pass off the ring to Wardlow, given the inner circle dynamics that's happening, that would have been more interesting. But we still have MJF in the final two. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if Orange Cassidy wins. But I actually, next week, Jack, I actually expect MJF to kind of just retain it and keep it for another year. Man, oh, do they have something special in Wardlow or what? He's awesome. That dude, that, like that is the guy... Because I don't get to I don't get to talk about AEW a lot. That is the guy. <laughs> two, two, three, four years from now, that dude is gonna be on top of the world. Agreed. Yep. <laughs> he is just something special. And I love what they're doing with this slow burn. Like, when is he gonna kick the shit out of MJF? When's it gonna happen? Oh, and every time you think it's gonna happen, like at this point, especially going into 2021, I would wait until there's crowds back, like full crowds. Not just at Daly's place, like or something close to an arena crowd that you can get for that, because people are going to lose their minds. Um, I could see MJF. I don't think he's going to. I'll go. I'll go opposite. I think because they're you know they're doing they're doing a good job of keeping Orange Cassidy pretty relevant after the Jericho feud. I think they'll go with him, and I think that's you know you tease a little more dissension with Wardlow and MJF. I do. I, I do disagree a little bit. They're keeping him relevant by keeping him on screen, but I mean he's just. He, he beat Jericho twice, and he's relatively been a loser ever since. Well, and giving him this little ring, which still makes no sense to me. I mean, it made sense. For, yeah, it doesn't I make guess, any sense. I guess MJF's character, it, it made sense. Like, and it did. They did reference it like a few times in the past three hundred sixty-five days. But 
Um, I'd like, to, like when I see battle Royals and stuff, it's not like you get a pretty diamond ring. It's like, you should, I, and yeah, the Royal rumble set that precedent, but there should be something on the line in the near future. And when it's just like, no, you get a ring. It's like, okay. Now for a heel to win it. And like $50,000. And 50, yeah. Like, and an MJF to win it. And like in a few matches, you could, I oh, hit him with the ring, but like, you can do that with a baby face. No, like that. Right. I mean, and then what's could, the point of orange stupid. Cassidy? And then what's the point of Orange Cassidy having the ring? Does he lose it and he doesn't care? And then they give up the gimmick? I mean, that would be the only way to get rid of it. Like, you could say, you know what? This ring thing, it's kind of stupid. Because Why don't it, we have Orange Cassidy win it and then just lose it forever? Because in all honesty, <laughs> from here, like, the, the next probably, the, the only, um, like, top storyline I could see for MG, or Orange Cassidy going forward is probably one where best friends get a little jealous of all the attention he's gotten. Which... Might be coming sooner and later, but so mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I don't know. I I think they're just going to give him the ring. I did like the battle. Long story short, I like the battle royal. Oh, it I was entertaining. I, I thought it was good. I yeah. I think they've had some misses with these multi man matches in AEW, mm-hmm. but yep. the battle royals for the most part, because see, they they've been largely largely above average. I, I'd say um, they, they well, do a pretty I, good I think- job. The all-in one, which wasn't technically AEW, was just, it was really well laid out and fun and stupid and like all those good things. Since that one, I I haven't necessarily loved them. Um, but this one, I actually think this may have been one of the best. I mean, there was a lot of it. I mean, they spent the first five minutes of this Battle Royal not even talking about the Battle Royal. Like they were, they cut into it as soon as it started to show like old footage. And like, they, <laughs> it was really strange the way this match started. But once it got going and the story with Inner Circle and Wardlow protecting the other smaller guys and Miro getting his run and the stuff on the ring apron, it was a well-booked match. And, you know, it, it definitely popped me, like, in terms of the, the ring apron stuff. I wish Wardlow had really gotten the shine here, but it does seem like they're building this Inner Circle Wardlow thing stronger. And credit to AEW because they moved that in to the next segment of the show, which was Chris Jericho defeating Frankie Kazarian. This was a really well so cool to match. See. It was cool to see them. It didn't hold my interest or attention. Like it, I, I recognized it was good, but I didn't care because I never once thought Frankie Kazarian was going to beat Chris Jericho, even in a roll-up type. Of, Jericho's lost too much recently for it to make sense for Kazarian to win. But he had a great flux capacitor from the top rope for a 2.9. MJF ran down. He was going to throw in the towel while Jericho was in a Boston Crab. But Sammy ran in, grabbed the towel from him. Then Jericho saw Sammy and thought Sammy was going to throw in the towel, which was funny. Uh, Kazarian nearly finished Jericho with a couple pinning combinations. Jericho caught him with the Judas effect for the win. After the match, Guevara and MJF, they went after each other. And Jericho got really pissed off. He gave them a week to cool down and decide whether they all want to work together as a single faction or break up. Like I said, what I really liked about this was the continuation of the MJF Sammy Guevara thing through the entire first 35 minutes of the show. It was a big storyline in the Battle Royal and it was ended up being the storyline that ended the Chris Jericho match. So the match to me, while it was cool, nothing special, didn't care about it really, but I liked the storyline with MJF Guevara and the Inner Circle. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, the Inner Circle was a great... It was it, it was a great way to kick off AEW as a promotion, a faction, you know, because wrestling fans love their factions. And it worked. You know, they picked all the right guys for it. I really think they did. I know Hager sometimes takes some flack, but I mean, 
you know, the, look at the man. He dresses to the nines every week. Last night's fit was ridiculous. But I think it's time to kind of call it a day on the inner circle. Um, it might be. I think, not think, I know for a fact that Santana and Ortiz belong with Eddie. They belong with Eddie Kingston. You, Interesting. You, you, yeah, have to go, you have to go point A to point B. Oh, it, it, even when TNA was at one of its lowest, the best thing on the, the one of the best things in wrestling was, was the LAX version of Eddie Kingston and Santana and Ortiz. So oh, he's now, he's been with them before. Oh yeah. Oh this. Oh, so because it's such a it's such a natural fit. Yeah, I mean, they ran an angle yeah. where it was old LAX against new LAX, but it was Eddie Santana and Ortiz. They were the new LAX, and this so it's proven it can work. Now you got a mainstream promote a main mainstream promotion with all three guys underhand. You you got to do it, you, and they can find a way to get since Eddie's you know going through so much right now. You, you break away Santana and Ortiz. Maybe, and maybe you could even just break that one and keep like Sammy with Jericho, like under his wing for a little bit. And then that's you- the thing that that's the thing about Inner Circle. It's that Sammy and Jericho work so well yes, together. Do. It's like the protege mentor yeah. deal. Yeah, Jake Hager doesn't really fit. Like like he fits as the heavy, but without Inner Circle, he's almost worthless. I have to say. No, like, I, I don't care m- at all. I don't care about him at all. I'll miss the gimmick, which is one of my favorite things in wrestling right now, and it's so little. But with him no, and Warblow? Yeah, no matter what. They're always it. staring at each other. Yeah. And I think it's the coolest thing. It's the coolest little thing. Pictures, a segment. They just stare at each other. Well, it's because what it is, is it's the two, it's the two heavies, yeah. the two bodyguards who both know that the other one is up to no good or can't be trusted, but can't act on it because they're not the leaders. Like be- before they break up, I would like to see it's more of a baby face segment, I guess, than a heel segment. But what I want to see before they break up is the inner circle be in some sort of trouble somehow. And just Wardlow and Hager take care of everything and kind of look at the other guys yeah. like there, taken care of. It's like a comedy thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there, done deal. You, you guys were having so much trouble with that. But yeah, uh, they, they would work well together. It would be interesting. No, I think it's, sure. but I think it's time to call it, call it a day on the inner circle, especially since, you know, you see a lot of times in the past, sometimes factions go a little past their ex- expiration date. So it's always best to, even if you're skeptical about it, maybe pull the plug a little early. And then then you gave, then what you do is you gauge the audience. So, you know, if you, maybe a year from two or now, people are like, boy, like so maybe something's going on we don't even know about yet. And we're like, boy, the inner circle would be great with this. Then you find a way to put them back together. Absolutely. Or at least por- portions. And portions. Of it. Put, yeah. put them, you know, get the band back together in like two, three years. But no, Jericho could obviously go on his own. Maybe, like I said, maybe with Sammy. Maybe keep Sammy with him for a little bit. And then you have a hot feud down the road with those two. Santana and Ortiz throw them with Eddie, and uh, Wardlow and Hager can, you know, Wardlow yep. and MGF can do their thing, and Hager, you know, let him do his thing. But it, it, the the fact is, the, or the point is, it's an easy dissolution of the group. It is if they do that, and and then you have MJF as the reason they break up, yep. which creates all splinter feuds and and ways to get back at him, which keeps him busy, keeps Jericho busy, keeps basically everyone busy, not going after a title for a period of time. Or you could even factor the TNT Championship into it at some point and have MJF win that, and then you know he's holding that hostage. There's a million different things you could do, but I, I do think the breaking up of the, of the inner circle is inevitable in 2021. The question is, how soon is it going to happen? And I don't think it's going to happen next week. I think next week they're going to kind of coalesce together. It's going to seem like it's working for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden it'll fracture and splinter for good. 
All right, moving on. A couple more things here to get out of the AEW Dynamite. Winter is coming, special edition. Uh, Young Bucks cut a promo backstage about facing the Hybrid 2 next week, and then the Acclaim showed up and cut a freestyle in a much, 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 much worse version of John Cena's gimmick. It was just, I mean, they pointed it out tongue-in-cheek in the moment, but holy crap, it was bad. TH2 attacked, SCU made the save. This was a horrendous segment on what was otherwise a very good show. Luckily, it was short, but this, I don't want any of this. I don't want the hybrid with the Young Bucks. I don't want the acclaimed. I don't even know who they are. I don't know why they're involved in a top-level feud all of a sudden when there's so many other tag teams on this roster that aren't being used in that way. Just, I don't want any part of this. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I mean, I don't, I don't mind the hybrid too real quick feuding with the Bucks for the tag team titles. I mean, they're two, they're, you know, it's, it's, they're two, especially Jack Evans veteran. And he, he kind of, he deserves some kind of, sh- some kind of top level shine like that, like a tag team title shot. Jack deserves that for all the years he's put in and everything. And I, I, I don't mind Angelico. Um, now I don't mind them. I just think for a title feud, I know it's just an in-between feud, but man, there's so many other teams. I want to say, uh, now, now Bowen, Bowen's and caster. I mean, I didn't like that last night. They came off looking real stupid. It just looks real green. Really green. Came off stupid because Bowen's you have to be careful with. I like caster. He's good, but Bowen's you got to be careful with because in, in the professional wrestling circles, everyone's known for the last two years. This is a guy, not the guy, but he's a guy. AEW was able to lock him up after NXT was on his ass. He chose AEW. Bowen's has everything you want in a professional wrestler. Don't, Which guy is that? The one who spoke, or the one, or the the one who rapped, or the one who didn't? The one who didn't. Everyone okay. knows. Everyone has known that Bowen's is something special and is or it's going to be something special. And he signed there Don't, like formally? Yeah. Okay. And NXT, you know, NXT was after him and he said, no, I'm going to try this. But like, you be careful. Don't put him in. Don't, don't make him look like an idiot on TV. And that's, that's what it came across like last night. Like it did. It did. They seemed like, like idiots. They, they Bowens were, and Caster are two guys that, you know, you should be high on, especially like I said, Bowens, he, he's something who's, Someone again, a lot of people in wrestling look at him and say, Okay, this guy five, six years from now, he's something. But you can't stunt his growth by doing stupid skits like he did last night. That just came yeah, across as stupid. And you also have to be aware of your surroundings. Like, and it's just the first appearance, so they're not dead or anything. No, it's no, just, no. It was it was just bad. No, really no, bad. no, not 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 dead in the water or anything like that. But it, it is something and something AEW has proven they're good at. You have to learn from your mistakes. Because yep. I've said this countless times. AEW has done a fantastic job of even if they scrap a gimmick on the fly, like um the nightmare collective with Brandy, when they're like, Okay, this is stupid, this ain't working, everyone hates it, we're just gonna get rid of it. And they they're they have to look at what they did last night and say we can't do that again. That was really stupid. Let's just let's just make these two young guys what they are, two great up and comers that are tag teaming right now and are something special down the road. So we have to make sure we make them we start that road to being special right now. But we we got to be really really careful about it. For sure. Now a couple more things. We'll get out of here. We'll go to the women's division for AEW. Britt Baker defeated Layla Hirsch. Uh, the women actually got on before the final 30 minutes of the show for the first time in months, because guess what? There was a huge main event, so they didn't have any time in the final half hour, but they still had the double commercial break during the match. That's it. I liked what I saw from Hirsch, a uh, big addition, at mm-hmm. least talent wise. 
Uh, she knocked Baker out, but didn't go for the cover. Baker took over with a twisting neck breaker, a swinging neck breaker, I'm sorry, and then hit the lockjaw for the victory. Thunder Rosa attacked after, and there was a referee separation for the second time in the first hour. That was a bit trite. Uh, it was a good match, good booking. The right person went over, and it advanced the storyline. It was the best, not the best necessarily women's match that we've seen in a while, but it was the best top to bottom women's segment that we've kind of gotten on Dynamite in months. And Hirsch really carried Baker, actually, throughout that match. So that was interesting. And then a little bit after that, we saw Hikaru Shida backstage saying that Abaddon did not scare her and she was just doing zombie cosplay. (laughs) Then there was like someone banging pots in the background and then Hikaru Shida got scared and left. So that was stupid. I do not expect Abaddon to beat her. I thought it was really strange that we just had Halloween and they had introduced Abaddon a few weeks earlier that they didn't use Abaddon for Halloween, but okay. Uh, they're doing an Abaddon Hikarushita deal where Abaddon really has no reason to be going after the title or or in contention for it. But okay, I liked her and her gimmick is different and nice and whatever. But Hirsch was kind of the most impressive out of that foursome to me. Um, look, the women's wrestling in AEW, there's some talent there, but the booking and the attention to detail is pretty terrible. This was a totally fine night for them. It was acceptable. Yeah, it's the best way I can put it. Yeah, it, they they really do got to work on this. The, the not not so much like obviously there's there's talented women in this division, and you have she's not, not like can't be signed at least for the time being, but you at least have the services of Thunder Rosa, who's one of the best in the world, and you're just not giving it the attention it deserves. Like even when Thunder Rosa was in there with the NWA title. You were kind of given the NWA title more shine than you were your your own champion, Ishida, who's been fantastic. She's great. And yeah, I like the the segment last night was a little off, but I did I mean Shida's comment did pop me when she says she's a zombie cosplayer. I like to cosplay too. That popped me a little bit. <laughs> I I I laughed when she said that because she she's she's awesome. She's but no, the women's division, this this is again going back to the impact thing. That's why I'm hoping you could take that huge pot of talent you have in Impact, merge it with what you have in AEW, and really create something special. Just give it the attention it deserves. I mean, hey, look, honestly, put your women's wrestlers on Impact, even if for just for time reasons, like to give them the shine. If Impact's like, look, we got the stronger women's division. Let's get your title over here a little bit. Let's do a little stuff. It's the women's situation in AEW is weird because... They're already they're utilizing the NWA Women's Championship, but not the NWA Men's Championships or any real connection with the men over an NWA. It's so it's it's so strange the way Khan and that, Cor- Cor- Corgan have yeah. set up this. And, it's really really weird. And the NWA Women's Title, at least over the last like four months, is in higher acclaim than their own title, the AEW Women's Championship. So it's just that's really strange. Now they're kind of working with Impact. And it seems to be more on the male side. Hey, maybe this inter- interaction, interwovenness with Impact, it's not as much as we think it's going to be. Maybe it really exactly. just is this Kenny Omega angle. And maybe there's a little bit of Bullet Club stuff. Or maybe it, there's just a singular wrestler from Impact who was helping Omega and has his back. And that one wrestler plus Omega is going to go back and forth for a month or two. It may be very limited. Like we got really excited talking about the relationship earlier and what it could possibly mean with Bullet Club, it could be way, way, way less than that. And because honestly, if we actually think about, Jack, what is best, and I know everyone wants all these companies to work in harmony and go up against the, 
the monopoly in WWE. Although, by the way, there being all these companies means that WWE is not a monopoly by definition. But regardless, uh, maybe it's really not best that AEW almost, I don't want to say devalue, but almost water itself down a little bit by working with too many companies and spreading itself too thin. Their roster is massive. If you are to add the entirety of the Impact or NWA or Ring of Honor rosters to it, it then becomes unmanageably large. So maybe, you know, we're getting excited about it and that's what they want and that's good, but maybe it really won't be that much. Maybe we won't even see an Impact versus uh, AEW women's match at all. This, yeah, this is going to, if this, especially if it's a three-way partnership with New Japan, this is going to take a lot of strategic planning. Like, you know, you have to say, for example, AEW has talents that they like. Like now, like how um, Japan sends young talents on excursions. Now you get the American version where, you know, when everything's back to normal, you can travel and whatnot. No. Tony Khan takes like a, an Anthony Bowens or somebody and says, okay, look, listen, you're going to go to Japan for a year. You're going to stay there. Okay. You're going to carry, you're going to carry the AEW banner, but you're going to stay there for a year and you're going to work in Japan. And then Japan sends someone to Impact. Impact sends someone to Japan. Japan sends someone to AEW. It, it, it's going to be tough to pull off. Mm-hmm. But you got to, again, you got to be really, really, really careful about it. And the last thing, the one thing I do not want out of, just back to AEW Impact, where we're at right now. I don't want any invasion crap. Because that's going to get Agreed. real old real quick. I don't want... 10 impact guys showing up on dynamite at 9 59 PM trash and stuff. I don't want AEW guys show. I want to have just an actual partnership where you go back to that sort of mission statement by AEW where we're going to be, we're going to be a pro wrestling, a mainstream pro wrestling company, but we're also going to be about pro wrestling. And in that case, it's like the territory days, you know, there's no invasion. It's just, Hey, this, this guy from AEW showed up looking for a fight. Let's give him. He wants to defend his title. He wants to defend the TNT title against so and so from Impact on Dynamite this Wednesday. Do the match. Move along. Yep, and we will see exactly what comes from this AEW Impact relationship. We will talk about more of it next week on our Thursday show. We still have NXT Takeover War Games 2020 Ultimate Preview coming up in a couple moments on the show. So stay tuned, but that is it for Jack Crosby today. Jack, thank you for joining me. You can follow Jack on Twitter at J Crosby CBS. I know you guys like when Jack joins the show, hopefully maybe, yeah, look, maybe this AEW stuff gets interesting. Maybe Jack finds a little time after football season's over. We get him on a little bit more frequently, but if not, we will still take the sporadic appearances as we can get them. So Jack, thank you once again for joining Today to talk AEW. No, thank you. Thank you for it was it was good to be back. And I, I, again, when things calm down a little bit, I will I'll try to get back more. Now we roll on here, and I know we did spend a lot of time on AEW, but look, Jack joined the show. We kind of talked about some other stuff to open that I didn't necessarily expect. It's a little bit longer of an episode. I know there's a lot this week, but you still have a couple days ahead of NXT War Games 2020. So hopefully you people have plenty of time to listen to this. So let's move on to WWE's NXT. Talk about what happened Wednesday night. There were a couple segments that did not factor into War Games, and then we will get into our ultimate preview of War Games. We saw Jake Atlas defeat Tony Nese in a singles match. They basically said on commentary that they gave Atlas this match 
because he wanted to honor Pat Patterson without actually saying it. Uh, Vic Joseph did a really good job building up Nice as a former cruiserweight champion. Atlas got the win in short order after his cartwheel DDT. In their ringside interview afterwards, he cut a pretty strong promo about building himself back up and going after the cruiserweight title. This for me was a hit for a match. It was pretty solid. It was a good build for Atlas, but ultimately you can only get so excited at a singles match. Zia Lee and Boa were basically being water tortured and forced to hold their breaths underwater as a mysterious woman watched. That was really the extent of that. Again, I'm curious. I'm interested. I'm going to wait and see what it develops into and how it transpires. The grizzled young veterans faced Imperium. This is after Imperium attacked Everrise before a scheduled match. Uh, they said, Imperium said, the tag team division in NXT belonged to them, so they took their place. The match was really good from like a work rate standpoint, but I just didn't really care about it at all. Uh, Everrise forced a disqualification at the end by attacking both teams, so there wasn't even a winner. I guess I'm going to assume there will be a triple threat match at some point, but Grizzled Young Veterans used to be heels. I guess they're faces in this situation. Imperium and Everrise are both heels. The number one contenders are heels. The tag team division in NXT, we've talked about it extensively. It is extremely weak right now. There's talent here in Imperium and Grizzled Young Veterans. But while I like the veterans, it's just, again, another tag team that doesn't really get me excited about the division the way DIY and Undisputed Era and even AOP to some extent did. So for me, yeah, they're adding talent to the division. They're growing it. I've said for months that's what they needed to do. Credit where it's due for them doing that. But am I excited about tag team wrestling in NXT right now? I'm still not. So with that, we'll move into our ultimate preview of NXT TakeOver War Games. There was a match added after the show went off the air. That makes this a five-match card. And we will start with the newest match added, Tommaso Ciampa against Timothy Thatcher. Ciampa showed up during the Thatch as Thatch Can segment on Wednesday. He stood up to Timothy Thatcher and said he's not there to learn but teach. Thatcher again said he didn't have a problem with Ciampa and just started leaving the ring. Then he came back, ends up spearing Ciampa. Thatcher's student helped him get up on Ciampa, but Thatcher... Uh, couldn't really subdue him himself until he got back in the ring and then put Champa to sleep. Later, as Thatcher was cutting a promo backstage, they finally showed Malcolm Bivens, again, Stokely Hathaway, the former guy, uh, for a first time in a long time, chatting up some trainees in the gym area. So I don't know what that is or what his booking is going to be, but Indu Sure, that tag team, that it looked like they were going to de be debuting with him. They've disappeared after that one guy screwed up and spoiled the ending to a match. So. Who the hell knows what's going on with all of these guys? As far as this match at TakeOver, it's going to be stiff as hell. I mean, Champa and Thatcher are going to beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. So it will be a good match. It is something I'm excited to see. As far as who wins, I really don't know. Thatcher obviously has just lost a couple different feuds. It kind of seems like he should get the win. But Champa is your guy. I mean, he's one of the biggest names in your company. He came off of not... of being unsuccessful winning the NXT title or even becoming like the number one contender for the NXT title on a number of occasions. So ultimately, if I need to make a pick, it's going to be Tommaso Ciampa. Next is going to be a strap match between Dexter Loomis and Cameron Grimes. On NXT Wednesday, Grimes defeated August Gray. This had to be the grimiest match in NXT history from the looks of these two guys. Uh, Grimes won easily with the Caven. No hate for a squash. Grimes said Loomis made a mistake with the stipulation he strapped in gray 
and beat him with the strap while walking around the ring and talking trash. Loomis, in a pretty cool spot, snuck into the ring and put the strap on his wrist, uh, taking it off Gray. Beat Grimes with the strap. What's funny, by the way, little aside, is Loomis always wears like black and gray or khaki, really muted colors. But his jeans somehow got ripped and there was like a neon green boxer that he was wearing underneath that was just stark. It showed right through. And I couldn't help but laugh at this guy who like, he's a tortured artist and he wears all these dark colors is wearing neon green boxers. So I thought that was really funny. As far as the match goes, you guys all know, I wanted this feud to end at Halloween Havoc. It did not need to continue past. I honestly can't believe we're still doing this. I'm tired of it. I don't necessarily think they're great together, despite Grimes being comedy and Loomis being serious and and having the unique character. I just can't see Grimes beating Loomis here. So it does seem pretty obvious Loomis is going to get the win and this will finally end. But this is not a takeover match. This is a NXT television match to me. And if we're being honest, this takeover card, it's really not strong. There's only one title on the line. Even in that match, it's pretty questionable how seriously it's going to be taken. The other uh, champion, champions, I should say, are both in War Games matches. It's they, they had an opportunity to put, to put the Cruiserweight title on the show and actually build a feud. They decided not to. So ultimately, that's where we're left. And again, this to me is just not a takeover match, but maybe it'll surprise me. I think this will end up being, in terms of match rating, work rate wise, one of the worst takeover matches that we've actually going to have seen in years. And that will be a disappointment, but we'll see. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. The North American Championship is the title that is on the line. Leon Ruff defending against Damian Priest and Johnny Gargano in a triple threat match. On Wednesday, you had Damian Priest and Leon Ruff defeat Santos Escobar and Raul Mendoza in a tag team match. I'm sure there was a reason given for this match happening, but I just didn't catch it. And there was so much happening, I didn't rewind to see, but it was a weird match. You have Escobar, who's had nothing to do with the quote-unquote main talent. He's really been stuck in this cruiserweight division. Now he's fighting Damian Priest. It, it, it just didn't make sense to me. Uh, the Scream Mask was watching from the crowd as Johnny Gargano was on commentary for it. Priest was about to hit the Reckoning when Ruff tagged himself in. Priest hit the Reckoning anyway. Ruff followed with a frog splash for the win. After the match, there were two screen masks in the crowd all of a sudden. So the question kind of is, what's going to happen in that spot, in that storyline that they're telling? I thought this was fine, but nothing especially notable. It didn't get me any more excited for the match than I already was. Again, we can question putting the title on Leon Ruff. It's a comedy decision. Is it only going to play out for a couple of weeks? Are they going to keep it on him past this match? That's what we'll talk about in a moment. As far as the screen max stuff goes... I kind of assumed when I saw it that the second one was Indy Hartwell, but if it's a second male wrestler, then I'm not really sure who it is. We're all assuming, of course, the first screen mask is going to be Austin Theory. But if there's a second, I don't know. There's a lot of people who have not been used recently. Maybe it's Swerve. Since Swerve has disappeared, it would be very surprising to have him turn heel and work with Johnny Gargano, but they did have a match prior, I believe, to Swerve disappearing. Uh, and I thought he also faced Austin Theory, if memory serves, but I could be wrong. Bronson Reed hasn't been used, but the guy was way too small to be Bronson Reed. Ashanti Viadonis has not been used since he kind of almost re-debuted and we started getting excited about him. We haven't seen him in a long time. I guess if I had to pick anyone, Swerve would ultimately be my guess. But 
I don't know if it's going to be a second dude. And if it is a second dude, I don't know if it's going to be someone that we would think of or perhaps someone brand new that we did not expect. Maybe even someone from the main roster who has not been used in a while and is coming down and is going to join. So we'll find out. As far as the match itself goes, you know, I don't think anything is gained by putting the title back on Damian Priest. As I've said, I do think he's someone who should be moved into that main event type of position, keeping it on Leon Ruff, even just to then change the title again on NXT television, I think would be a mistake. So yeah, I think the obvious is what I'm going to predict here, which is Johnny Gargano winning the Scream Mask people, maybe taking out Damian Priest, leaving Gargano and Ruff one-on-one. Ruff gives him a run for his money. And eventually Gargano just overpowers him and is the better wrestler than Ruff, gets the win and takes the title back. And therefore, Leon Ruff can kind of move out of that position, maybe into the cruiserweight picture. But again, the ascension of Ruff here, I don't really get the point outside of what was, yes, singularly a funny moment a couple of weeks ago. But I don't necessarily know that you want to use your North American championship, which to this point had been pretty prestigious and continue using it in a comedic way. We'll move on to the double main event, which is the two War Games matches for the men. And yes, I'm saying the men on purpose. First, we have Undisputed Era against Pat McAfee, Pete Dunne, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch. So after weeks of attacks and brawls, the build here, it was a bit lackluster from the face side with Undisputed Era, basically all eating dinner. Uh, I don't know if it was an Italian restaurant or a steakhouse, but basically going over what's at stake in the match. And there really wasn't much to that conversation. It was just, hey, we kind of dominated NXT for a while and now we're not dominating, so we need to beat them and start dominating again. All right. Uh, Later in the show, Pat McAfee and his guys, they came out. McAfee again ripped the fans. He tore apart that Undisputed Era dinner segment, which I kind of thought was funny. Propped up his team as the best money could buy. He also joked about the master guy coming in last week. So it's pretty clear, it's what I said on the show, that it was just a stand-in for him during the holidays, not another person in their crew like so many people speculated. Dunn grabbed the mic at the end with true anger at Undisputed Era. McAfee was strong again and built this match as important for NXT's future. In terms of who's going to win both War Games matches, I really don't know. You would make the assumption that one face team will win and one heel team will win. And I look at the men's match and I just don't know what you get out of McAfee's team winning. Lorcan and Birch already have the tag team titles. McAfee is not going to go after one of the titles, you don't think, at least. Pete Dunne could get built up, yes. But if they win... The Undisputed Era cannot stay in NXT. They would have to move to the main roster. But I think it was pretty clear based on the draft, you know, they had the ability to do that. They chose not to do it. So unless that's the plan, and they're going to have Pat McAfee take out the biggest, greatest faction in the history of NXT, I ultimately think Undisputed Era does come out on top here, beats Pat McAfee, you know, Adam Cole beats Pat McAfee, for the second time, probably Danny Birch, where Oni Larkin ends up taking the fall in the end. And McAfee goes away. The other guys kind of split up. And we just got a short-term men's feud that worked to give you a men's war games match, but otherwise doesn't have much legs to it. 
So that'll be my booking here. I wish I could get deeper into it, but the truth is the storyline hasn't been that deep. Undisputed Era hasn't even really been on television for the last couple of weeks. And as a faction, they've kind of fizzled out a bit. So that's another thing. I don't see WWE taking them, watering them down, and then debuting them on the main roster. So I think they're going to be in NXT to stay, at least for the short term. Um, And because of that, I feel like Undisputed Era, the faces, come out on top. Now over for the main event, what I expect to be the main event of War Games, the women's War Games match. You have Shotzi Blackheart, Ember Moon, Rhea Ripley, and Io Shirai against Candice LeRae, Tony Storm, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. The build for the heel side has been extremely strong, but Shotzi's basically only added members to her team in these taped vignettes as she's rebuilding her tank, with Moon and Ripley bringing her parts as she's needed them. The first one, Ember Moon, that happened on social media. So you didn't even get it on television. At least Rhea Ripley, it happened on TV. Those vignettes weren't necessarily bad, but it was a bit lackluster given the star power on that team and really both teams. You're looking at these eight women and it's probably six of the best, I don't know, 20 women's wrestlers in the world, maybe top 15, I don't know. All in this one match, Lorraine did a far better job building up her team with that backstage promo, explaining what each of the women individually brought to the table. Then you had in the main event of NXT, Shotzi Blackheart against Raquel Gonzalez in a ladder match for the War Games advantage. I forgot to mention, by the way, on the men's side, the heels will have the War Games advantage. In this match, the faces are going to have it because even though Raquel Gonzalez absolutely dominated Blackheart early with her strength, Shotzi got an advantage when she jumped onto that caged barrier, hit a coffin drop. Blackheart then drilled Gonzalez with a ladder, and Gonzalez did the same in kind with the steel steps. Shotzi did an awesome running senton onto Gonzalez's spine as she had her head basically on a ladder in the corner. The other women all ran to ringside as Indy Hartwell set up a ladder next to their platform and allowed them to kind of get into the ring. Then you saw Hartwell set up a ladder in the ring itself and start climbing for the briefcase. Blackheart pulled her off. Gonzalez then jumped back in the ring, hit Blackheart with a clothesline from hell that knocked her on her ass. Everyone's brawling, all the faces, all the heels at ringside. Io Shirai shows up out of nowhere, springboards off the top rope onto Gonzalez's back while she was on the ladder. Then she hit an insane moonsault to the outside, splashing everyone as Blackheart climbed the ladder to snatch the briefcase. This match was really good. It was actually the highlight of the entire show. And if you were of the opinion that it was better than the Kenny Omega, John Moxley match in terms of star value work rate, I would be hard pressed to disagree with you. Again, the Moxley Omega match had a really good five minute stretch, but from bell to bell, Blackheart Gonzalez tore the house down. It was a really good main event on NXT. As far as the finish, it's certainly what we expected. I'm sorry, it's at least it's, it's certainly what I expected because you had to get Io Shirai in. It was clear there was a member missing. It's the go-home show. You kind of want that final person in there. But the match was a banger. It was an extremely good main event. It was a strong close to what was relatively weak as a go-home show and weak for an NXT episode, top to bottom. I mentioned it earlier on today's show it didn't really seem like NXT was trying to go head-to-head with AEW Winter is Coming. They just said, hey, we're going to roll our go-home show as it was. 
And because the TakeOver card, I love TakeOvers, I love NXT, you guys know, but because the TakeOver card is relatively weak, well, the Go Home Show was relatively weak. Now, I'm talking about this match last because to me, there's no question this should be the main event of TakeOver. You have the women's champion involved, four extremely popular female superstars on the face team, and an absolutely loaded match. It would be a big surprise if the men's War Games match did not open the show and the women's War Games match did not close. Now you look at this, you look at the eight women involved and you say, man, that face team, not only does it have Io Shirai, the champion, Rhea Ripley, who was previously the most popular woman in NXT. It has Ember Moon, who just made her return, and Shotzi Blackheart, who NXT is promoting the hell out of recently. And by the way, Shotzi has been way, way better over the last three months than she was with that stupid tank, you know, video package that they did like four or five months ago. But you see that face team and you say they should win. The faces need to win this match. They're stronger, they're better. But to me, it's the opposite because you need contenders for Io Shirai. You have Candice LeRae, who has said multiple times that she has not been given the opportunity to beat Io Shirai clean. You have Tony Storm, who they just turned heel, who, if not Candice LeRae, would be a great option as a heel to take the title off Io Shirai. You have Dakota Kai, who failed to do so against Shirai, but is nevertheless still very strong. And you have Raquel Gonzalez, who is the most green of all eight women in the match, but is a powerhouse and someone that they're pushing really well. So if I'm booking, and I think I am kind of on the same page as Triple H here, I have the heels win this match. I probably have Candice LeRae or Tony Storm be the one ultimately to get the final pinfall. And I probably use Ember Moon or Shotzi Blackheart as the person to take that fall. I think this women's war games match is going to be incredible. I really do. It's going to be the star match of the pay-per-view. It's going to outshine the rest. I don't know if you can ever really give a War Games match five stars. We have seen some crazy shit from these matches. But you know what we've also seen? Some crazy shit from Candice LeRae, Io Shirai, and Rhea Ripley. And we know Shotzi Blackheart will do whatever's necessary. This match is going to steal the show. I am really excited that it's the main event. You know, I'm not someone who normally gets down about takeovers. I'm usually over-anticipating. My expectation level is really high. I'm going into this takeover with a lowered expectation. I'm only expecting a B-level takeover. And that gives NXT, to be candid, the opportunity to blow me out of the damn water. So I'm very excited to watch TakeOver War Games on Sunday. As always, on this podcast, when there is a pay-per-view, no matter the brand, we will have instant analysis of NXT TakeOver War Games as soon as it goes off the air. That's just how we do things here. So be sure, especially if you're a first-time listener, to subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast wherever you listen to fine audio, be it Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, any app that you use, we are on it. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you can follow me personally at Silverstein Adam. We have a massive month of shows still on the way. Some big interviews coming down the pike. We have our year-end awards that you all will get to vote on, especially if you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. 
I appreciate all the kind words for our 100th episode. Really great to hear from everyone. Listeners who DM all the time, people who maybe haven't been listening to the show, but came in because of BC or Nick. Anyone who is listening to us, please know that I appreciate you. Uh, It's been a really good 2020 so far. We're going to end it on an absolute bang. So once again, do not forget to listen to our WWE episode this week. Do not forget to listen to our 100th episode with BC and Nick. It was a very special episode that was published on Wednesday. And do not forget to tune in once again on Sunday night for instant analysis of NXT TakeOver War Games. Thank you all for listening. It has been a long, long show. So with that, the Silver King is saying goodbye, and he's going to leave you with three words. Bye for now.